What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is an innovative industry insider. He has a passion for hospitality. He spearheads Wimberley Interiors Entertainment, gaming, nightlife, F&B, and retail design environments. He is a vice president and director of entertainment at Wimberley Interiors. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Held. Welcome, Josh. Thanks, Dan. This is uh, awesome. I've wanted to be on with you for a while, and that was a um, a glowing introduction. So uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be I'm excited to be here with you, and thank you for your time. And again, like all the guests that we have on, I'm just so grateful for the time and the insights. But I'm also a little jealous because your glasses are so freaking amazing. <laughs> I feel like I got to like upgrade mine now. Yeah, I figured once the uh, eyes started going, I needed to step up the uh, glasses game. So, um, you know, I ordered 100 different pairs and one of them I liked. Um, wait, did you get all 100? No, it wasn't really 100, but it was like a good handful of them. But I got oh. them some, from some like super cheap place where you get a bunch of them. It was great. I love it. Oh, good. Happy and then it's have. not too precious. So if they scratch, you can just throw them in the recycle bin and yep. you're all good. I lose them once a week. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I've always been drawn to you about is this idea of community, right? And community, neighborhood, and we've also lived in the same community neighborhood. Our kids went to the same school, which had a tremendous community. And I feel like in so many aspects of your life, for me as an outsider watching you, I just see how important community neighborhood is. And um, I just wanted to like, in this conversation, dig into like, where does all that come from? I see you as such like this ultimate New Yorker, right? And it's also surprising to me, like, I'm always surprised that you're from Dallas. I don't know what it is, because I feel like when I see you, I feel like you are like New York blood through and through. So like, how did community and environment and, and neighborhood become so important to you? That's funny. I mean, I've, I've been in New York for about 25 years, and I've I've uh, had two children and raised them in the city. I feel like if that doesn't make you a New Yorker, I don't know what does. But um, yeah, I grew up in Dallas. My family moved there when I was like two years old. Um, both my parents were kind of, you know, very love and community driven. And um, I think that's where it all started. You know, I learned from them from an early age that the community and the connection with people and the connection with um, the place around you and the the, the community around you and 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 all that was super important. Um, and it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, one, because you threw me for a curveball immediately because you asked me a question that we had not talked about previously. But um, <laughs> the fact that, that, you know, that actually ties into, um, you know, our conversations about, about what we do professionally in hospitality design um, and how the spaces we create are all about making connections between people and maybe making connections between um, the area that they are, the type of um, genre that they are, um, you know, those connections come from that community um, attitude. And, you know, like you said, we, we, you and I lived many years, a couple blocks from each other and being part of that community was, was very important. When my kids started going to school, they tried to put them in some school that was 20 minutes away. 
And we fought hard to get them into the school that was, you know, blocks away from us because you want to be there to be connected to that community and be able to um, interact and engage and, and, and dive fully into um, the community that you live in and the people that surround you. Um, and I think that carries a lot forward into the, the conversations about hospitality and design. Yeah. And on the community school front, when, when we moved from the East Village to Chelsea, I Chelsea was just this foreign place to me, right? I just didn't, I didn't really understand it. It just seemed like a thoroughfare. People were just going, it's like a pass-through. You can get anywhere, do anything. It's very convenient, but it just seemed very impersonal. And it wasn't until our, my kids started going to PS11 that I started recognizing more people. Um, and I guess in that recognition from that community, because it was such a strong community uh, and still is, um, that I just really felt to feel at home there. And um, I don't know, it was just really interesting. And then getting to know you over the years and, you know, it's also interesting to me how um, your better half is also into building community and creating places of connection. And like, is that like what you talk about at the dinner table as well? <laughs> no, we try not to talk about it at all. Um, <laughs> It's, you know, it's like being a doctor. You come home, you don't want to talk about the doctor stuff. Um, uh, you know, it, obviously, Sasha and I were um, found each other because we were kind of pulled toward each other, towards each other because of this, the same looking for the same types of connections and and this conversation about community. Um, I don't think it was ever spoken or talked about, but I think it was just kind of something that was inherent to our personalities that made us um, find each other. I love it. Um... And, okay, so now thinking about, like, to kind of tee it up with this whole idea of community and connection, um, how do you think that your, your zeal and passion for that has influenced what your idea of hospitality is? I mean, that's, that's an interesting question because not all projects warrant some deep community connection. Sometimes they're just about being outrageous and being fun. Um, but you think about the places that you tend to go back to um, as as a as a guest, um, you know, just as being a normal um, person who interacts with spaces. You know, you tend to go back to the places that make you feel comfortable, that um, give you that sense of belonging there, um, whether it's a restaurant or a bar or a theater or, you know, a school or any type of space. Um, you, you tend to go back to the places that make you feel like you're supposed to be there and like you're supported and um and comforted by that place um so that that sense of community really carries through to a lot of things and kind of um uh, on a subtext level can kind of really and reinforce the um the weight of an experience and correct me if i'm wrong but when you were really starting out on your own a lot of the work that you did and gained I don't know, a lot of recognition and notoriety for was nightclubs and bars and just the whole nightlife thing. And I oftentimes when I think of New York City nightclubs and, and the ones that you worked on in particular, I've had fun there, they're great, but there's also this kind of velvet rope thing where, like how do you balance that whole idea of velvet rope and also community and make it a warm, welcoming place? Or is it just all about that idea of being outraged? Sometimes you just have to forego that and just be outrageous because, hey, that's what people are looking for. 
Yeah, and it's, it's funny that you say that because when you think about a sense of community, you may not think immediately about like a nightclub space, especially like, you know, a really um, important one, like say Marquee here in New York. But you take that club, for instance, and it's it was created um, to really embrace a certain culture and a certain community um, and give them a place to be and to dance and to listen to music. And there are multiple levels of that experience. And then there's those that are, you know, behind the velvet ropes and, and the, the expensive part of the experience. But one of the main things that we were very conscious of when we were doing Marquee was creating a lot of space for, um, you know, what you call the GA or general admission or people just buy tickets and want to come in and, and dance their asses off and, and, you know, have a drink and be around like-minded people. So it, it all comes back to that same idea of community. There's multiple um, levels of community within that experience, but it's still entirely about that. Mm. And Okay, so then as you're talking about people dancing and music, and it's, I'm also brought back to stories that you've shared of being a longtime burner and you guys going to Burning Man, right? Yeah. But what, what, was, what was really surprising to me, the thing that I took away from those conversations is it's not when you go, because I think you go with some like OG Burning Man people, right? And yes. it's not just about going there for the whole full-on experience obviously the experience of the dancing and the fun and all this but there's also like everyone carries their own weight like you were saying you would go in and you'd prep and you'd be responsible for cooking meals and cleaning up and just keeping this community space friendly and clean and everyone fed um how, how did you find your way into that and did, was that a pre-nightclub or post-nightclub um design experience for you and how did they kind of feed into each other? Wow. There's a whole lot wrapped into that one question and um, yes. we might have to have a whole separate podcast for um, if you want to start diving really deep into that, but just kind of on the surface, I'll tell you that um, how we got into that world is that we had a friend who made a documentary about it. You know, one of our, our best friends um, and kind of pulled this in and kept saying, you got to come experience this. You got to come experience. And it's hard to, from the outside, it's hard to see why that's, so valid until you really dip your toes into it and then you're like holy shit i totally get this um and we keep coming back to this conversation of community i mean there's no um better kind of um petri dish for what community is than this thing that is a you know is literally an experiment in temporary society that happens in the middle of the desert where there's nothing there so it, it certainly personifies what we're talking about here. Um, whether where that was in my kind of nightlife design career, I think they both kind of grew up together, my experiences there and, and my experiences designing nightclubs, but they certainly have informed each other quite a bit because um, it, there's obviously a little bit more freedom of the type of experience you can have when you're out there bringing in and people are, you know, blowing shit up and there's all kinds of music everywhere and there's lots of different types of experiences happening um and it's very much not a velvet ropey kind of situation there's no table service or somebody serving you it's much more um a kibbutz mentality if you will where everybody's there to support each other um and provide for each other uh which is a little bit different than some of the things we design out here in the default world um but it certainly um informs each other i mean i remember one time i uh we walked into this tent and it was this beautiful, like amazing um, Moulin Rouge, like burlesque, but but Tom Waits kind of singer 
just experience where, you know, it just opens your mind to all the possibilities for an entertainment experience, whether it's at Burning Man or in, in, in this world that we live in out here. I love how you use the term a Petri dish. Like it's really an experiment, a temporary society. Are there, what, like, if you were to think about that Petri dish and what you experience there in the mind expansion of just this community that pops up out of nowhere, money, there's no money, right? Everything is based on trade and barter. Um, how is that, like, what are the biggest takeaways from the Petri dish idea to your own sensibilities about the spaces and the built environments that you're working on? Yeah, I think that, I was surprised to find that the biggest takeaway from that, that I could kind of use in my professional life um, was the fact that you're sitting there observing how humans interact together. You put a bunch of humans together that don't know each other, that are all on the same level. And, um, you know, there's no real hierarchy and you see how they interact with each other and how they interact with the built environment um, and how they interact with entertainment. Um, and it's it's such a deep kind of psychological um, experiment that you get to witness live and firsthand, and it's ever evolving and it changes all the time, and maybe different from one year to to the next. But you really start to see how people interact with with space and with each other, and then that certainly informs everything that we do, whether we're designing a hotel or designing a nightclub or designing a restaurant or a retail experience or a casino. You know, like how how people move together, how they, when they don't know each other and how they congregate and how they don't, you know, do the opposite of congregate and kind of find their own personal space. All those things play into what we do professionally every day. Mm. And then, okay. So you, you know, you've, I guess, really worked so hard at experiencing all these and designing all these things and, and just leaving this legacy of projects. Um, as you and that that was on your own now now you've come and you're at Wimberley and you're heading up gaming nightlife F&B and all this and as your team grows and and you're bringing your all of those sensibilities into this like as you're building your team and growing and working on these great projects like what are some of the traits and strengths that you look at in people that you bring onto your team to, that can really kind of run with that vision and help you execute that Primarily the ability to let go of your preconceived um, notions about what the way things should be. Um, the ability to just open your mind and, and see experiences and take from that and build from that and, and, and how you can use the information that's around you out in this world to make you better at what you do in your life and professionally. I mean, I think that while there is original thought out there. I think that there's a lot of what we do as designers comes from taking bits and pieces of the things that we've experienced out in the world and, and, and kind of um, interpreting them or twisting them or, you know, evolving them somehow until this beautiful design comes out. So the more input you have, the better the output is going to be. So the more that you get out there in the world and experience things, whether it's like, you know, going to Burning Man or whether it's going to travel the world or whether it's going to the moon or going to the bottom of the ocean, every one of those experiences is going to give you, um, you know, another crayon in the, the crayon box, if you will. 
Um, and it just makes you a better designer from having um, explored. So many of those life experiences. Yeah, I guess I love that. I love I like the crayon box instead of the arrow in the quiver because, you know, they're kind of all mashed up together and blended together. And it's uh, I don't know, it's it's always fun to open it. And I love the smell of opening a crayon box. Oh, my God, box a too. new box of crayons. It's the best in that like really big one that had like 128 different colors with the sharpener yeah. in it. Yeah. And then a month later, they all have their like wrappers off and they're all broken and you like, you know, start crying. Yeah. And that, actually, that brings on another question that I, I would hear, because I, I heard you say, as you were talking about the type of person, it's you were talking about bringing these life experiences that, that really make you the best or better at what you do. And then going on that and also with the crayon idea, like what kind, what tool in, in your day to day life, like <clears throat> what tool do you find indispensable to help you with your creative process? That, that's an interesting question because it's none of the things that you that we do use every day it's not the it's it's not the internet it's not the instagram or the pinterest or all that shit that's like that's you know probably the worst version of that um the best tool i find is not being in the office not when i'm working the best ideas come when you're not sitting there trying to think of ideas it's when i'm you know, laying in bed at night or when I'm out on my way to go do something or when I'm just freeing my mind of the other things of the kind of production side of what we do. Mm -hmm. When you um, when you give your mind space to breathe, that's the most indispensable tool. I love that, especially because a previous guest we had, um, his name's David Allen. He wrote this book, Getting Things Done. It's the, the art of stress-free productivity. And his whole thing is if you have a system in place and you're doing your production and you have your own personal workflow and everything is in its place, then when your mind is free, you have this clear whiteboard so that when you're reaching for that can of tomato sauce in the, in the market or you're in the shower or you're walking to work, it allows you to have these moments of like extreme creativity. And I think I agree with you, like the Pinterest, the Instagram, all the social media stuff, um, all the tools that we use on our computer, they're almost distractions from that place of, of sheer creativity. So going on that one, how, like, what do you do to like have more of that time where you can really be inspired? Well, you're right. There is, um, there's an element of efficiency to being able to create the space for your mind to breathe. Um, especially post COVID, I think that, in the, the world that we run in and these projects that we're working on, things either got accelerated or everybody wants their stuff now. And we all get into this rut of um, production and really just trying to get shit out the door. So you, I, needed, I needed this. So I go look forward here and I need that. And, but you're right. It's really about kind of compartmentalizing, being efficient and creating that space so that you can actually sit and think or go for a walk and, and really start to let things you know um percolate in your brain because they need that ideas need space to grow as well and sometimes we don't give them enough, enough of that space we're just like oh we need a design thing we plop this design thing in and call it a day mm -hmm. um i want to go back to like around that idea of this petri dish and really a kibitz in the 
in the desert, right? So there's this a, a kibitz for the or kibitz for those of you who don't know is like this kind of self-sustaining kibitz is chattering. Kibitz is this. Kibitz, kibitz. Kibitz is the people. Thank you, kibitz. Yeah, kibitz is is chatter. But anyway, I going to the kibitz part of just this self-sustaining outpost, right? Where everyone is engaged, everyone is helping. Can you think of, or, or not think of, can you share with us um, a project that specifically that you've worked on or, or been involved with that is really just like a great example of that idea of mutual helpfulness and engagement that, that kind of uh, exemplifies that? Yeah, it's uh, the answer is going to be funny because there's really not a lot of projects that are actually like that. Um, you know, most of what we do in hospitality design and especially the traditional narrow scope of, of um, hospitality design being like hotels and restaurants and stuff is a very prescriptive experience. Like you go there and sit down and eat or you go there and you're, you check in and you go up to your room. You know, that's a lot of those are not as and they're not really conducive to that kind of group experience like that. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, it, and I totally wasn't involved in this, but I thought it was a fascinating project and it is definitely very um, polarizing um, for lots of reasons. But the idea that was behind We Live, I think was actually pretty brilliant. Um, and for those that don't know, and most of the people that are listening this probably know exactly what it is, but it's kind of like the Melrose Melrose Place living version of what we worked did. Um, it never really got off the ground. They did build a couple of them. Um, but the idea was that you had shared resources, shared public spaces like living rooms and big, beautiful kitchens and all that stuff, every couple of floors. And therefore, kind of within this tower of a building, you have individual little communities that are interacting together and supporting each other. Um, I thought on the basis of like conceptually, I thought it was was brilliant. Um, there's lots of reasons why it didn't, you know, move forward. Um, I think there's a documentary but, about it. Yeah, I think there's a couple. Or no, there's a made, there's out. a made, there's a made to, for TV movie about it. I hear it's pretty good, actually. I, I it is pretty good. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that's a fascinating example of exactly what you're saying. There is a not really a whole lot of other versions of what that is out in our world, um, other than maybe when you take some kind of master plan communities that are maybe trying to inch toward that, um, but not as much in the kind of scale of the hospitality projects we talk about on a day, day-to-day basis. You know, as you were saying that, it's this idea of like a modern day commune, right? And yeah. I think like having moved out of New York City, I think one of the things I really missed so much about it was you kind of have that just in your neighborhood, right? Between the school, the coffee shop, the bodega, your dry cleaner, uh, the market, it's kind of all there in within the density of, of your neighborhood. And I think for that to really be effective, whether it's a master planned community, a tower, a city, a neighborhood, you just really need density for that to happen. Yeah, you need like the kind of, not just the number of people, but you need like the physically compressed density to make that work because like, I'll walk down the street and I see the same woman walking her same dog every day and we say hi. I don't know her name, she doesn't know my name, but we are part of a community together. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get that when you're kind of spread out over land or when there's not that kind of density. 
the next and that's time one of the things see- i love love about new york city yeah well the next time you see her will you ask her her name i, I bet you do know her. i bet you probably know her <laughs> ask her just be like hey what's your name i see you here all the time what's your dog's name usually they like it be like go, okay go for the dog yeah, first yeah, but I, I don't know. It's like it's all about like getting over that icebreaker to uh, to communicate and kind of break through. And that's what I would love. Since moving out uh, of the city, sometimes I'll talk to like Annabelle, my youngest. I'll be like, what do you miss the most about New York? And she would say like, Dad, I just really miss how you would always talk to random people on the street. <laughs> well, that is, now, that is kind of your stick. Yeah. But, you know, why not? They're there. Talk to them. Say hi. Get to know them. Well, Everyone's she also doesn't realize that most of those people weren't random and you actually knew most of them. Uh, I did know a lot of them. But also, if I was just waiting for something to turn and there was someone there and we made eye contact, I'd start talking to them. Because, I don't know, I just feel like people just fascinate me and everyone has, like, a real cool story to tell. And just, like, in me talking to you right now, I just can learn so much from every person. It's like every person that I talk to is like a gateway to this whole universe, right? Because you have a whole universe between your ears and from your life experience. And I don't know, I just always love talking to people and learning from them. Well, it sounds like you should have a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) a great idea. Um, So as you're as we're kind of navigating the world in which we're we're in right now um what's exciting you josh held the most right now about the future yeah the future is funny um everybody always asks you to predict the future especially in kind of the positions that we're in like you know what's the next trend in hospital you know hotels or restaurants or blah 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 there is no predicting the future that's the exciting part about our job is the fact that the future is undefined and it is for us to figure out what it is, or at least try some cool shit and see if that becomes the future. That is the only thing that creates the future or predicts the future is, is trying out, you know, fantastic ideas. And if they stick, then they become the future. Um, if not, then it's part of the process. I think you just made like a t-shirt. I can see it right now. Try some cool shit and make the future. It's good. Let's start selling Well, because it's also like inertia, right? If we all get used to like what we're doing and we're not trying to break things, how do we progress? We don't really. So, but, and I think that's also so cool. And I just, I'm just envious about what you and all your teams and colleagues and competitors do is you're always working in this laboratory to create new things and pulling us all forward into new experiences. It's, it's really awesome. And I'm, I don't know. I don't, I'm just so lucky to have so many friends that do such cool shit like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun every minute of it. Um, and I think that we all have different have different processes, but I think that there's some core kind of um, bits of that, that that weave through all the way we, we do things. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So then if so in in trying to do all the new cool shit to create the future, um right now what's keeping you up at night what keeps me up at night is everybody trying to chase not not designers but maybe designers but the people that are driving the bus on developing the physical future 
everybody racing towards the thing that is most profitable or like the thing that is the most of one thing, you know, like speak, let, let's take a nightlife analogy. You go back to like when I first moved to New York and maybe when you first moved into the city, um, there was such a variety of nightlife that you could go to like, not just the types of programming in those nightlife spaces, but like the actual physical spaces and the experience. And there was like a ton of different versions of an experience out there. And I think for a long time that kept getting narrowed down and narrowed down. And it, this happens with hotels and this happens with restaurants, but operators and people started realizing, oh, I need to make money doing this. So what are the things that are making money? Let's focus and enhance those parts that are making money. Um, and really let that drive the development. So then you get a lot more places with like bottle service and that are more expensive to get into and have a very single-minded vision of what the um, programming or the space or how people interact should be. And again, I'm not talking specifically about nightlife. This could be hotels or anything else. Um, but, but that kind of narrowing down of the options is what keeps me up at night. Because I think if we're all chasing what is the most profitable thing or what is the most, um, you know, what, what's going to get the most press or what's going to get the most this, then everything starts to look the same. And we have just a bunch of different versions of everybody doing the same thing. Um, and some are bringing to be good. Some are bringing to be bad, but then there's not a lot of variety. So mm. keeping things weird and keeping things different and keeping things, um, having outliers and things that are experiences. Like you take something like, like Meow Wolf and what they did in, um, with their, you know, progressing from Meow Wolf to what they did in Vegas and that kind of stuff, those kind of outliers. I think it, we need more of those and more different stuff. And that, that may not be your cup of tea, that experience, but like the idea of having lots of different options out there um, in the hospitality world is important. And I, and as you're talking about that appreciation for Meow Wolf and the experience that they've created and you know like there's this other theme of just petri dishes and just exp trying new things um through your in the arc of your career it, it within that vein of just experimentation and trying like what do you think the most important lesson is that you've learned over your career and who who did you learn it from mm. um the most important thing. There's a lot of important things. Um, well, with lot, respect to, to a lot of different aspects, to a lot of different aspects of what we do, I think one of the things that I learned early on that was probably the most important um, was know your shit really well, and then when you're in a room and people are questioning what you're doing, you know that you know the answers, and you can have the conversation that needs to be had um always be confident in, in in what you're you know what you're saying what you're trying to do that the way you're detailing things the way you're trying to get something built know that you know what you're doing um and you get much further because the minute you start to question yourself or you you know whether you know it or not whether you actually know the information or not be be confident in the fact that you are heading in the right direction um because when you start to question that that's when you um you don't make any progress. I don't and know if that like, answers your question, but no, it does. I, what, I, what I'm hearing from you, it's like push the limit, know your shit, and just be confident, right? 
And, but you can't be confident if you don't know your shit. Right. I mean, a, a great example of this is like so many times with clients and especially in what we do, nobody's paying me to do the same thing that I've already done a hundred times. I mean, sometimes people think that's what they're doing, but that's not what they're doing. They're paying, they're, they're hiring us as design experts to create something new, or at least that's the way I always see our mission. Um, and creating something new, you don't know whether it's going to work out the way that you planned. It's like creating a sculpture or, or you know, a robot or something that like, it's an experiment. It's a, it's a, uh, an evolving process. So, you know, clients always ask, they're like, oh my God, this big giant thing that you're doing, that's going to cost all this money. Like, have you done this before? Do you know this is going to work out? And you just got to be like, listen, the answer is no, I don't know if it's going to work out. I'm very confident in my ability to make it work out and that th this is a great idea. But no, I haven't done this before, and no, nor has anybody else, and that's why we're here. Mm. And on your career journey, was there any particular mentor or a couple of mentors that kind of helped reinforce that to you or, or shook you to say, like, this is the way it is? Or what, did you just kind of come pre-programmed? I think that there's a certain bit of the personality that was kind of pre-programmed just kind of from life experiences. Um, but I can certainly say that, you know, the time I spent at, at Rockwell Group with with David uh, at Rockwell and with David Mexico, um, you know, between the two of them, I probably learned more than, and, you know, in the 10 or 11 years that I was there, I probably learned more from the two of them than I learned, whether it was in school or, or post that time at Rockwell Group. Um, it was just a very intense kind of design boot camp. You know, we were renegade designers running around doing crazy stuff everywhere. Um, but there was a, a, a logic to the madness and, and learned so many different things there. So, I mean, if I had to put a finger on it, it would be that. Mm. Okay. And then from like growing up in Austin, did you always know that you wanted to be an architect or designer? Or I know you went to UT Austin and you studied architecture there, but like, w when did you know that that was the path you wanted to, to go? Well, the way my mother tells it, it was from a very, very young age, like <laughs> six or something. But I think that she has a much more rose-colored glasses version of it. Than, you were eating um, too many crayons? Yeah. You're I like, mean, I like, just need to digest she's this like, stuff. You knew from birth you were going to be an architect. I'm like, I don't think that's possible. Um, but we, uh, every summer we would travel from to Maine. Um, and a lot of those years we would drive. It was it was glorious. We would drive in uh, a VW camper van, a pop-top camper van, and probably some of the best memories of my life. And we would drive from Dallas, um, which is a pretty far drive to go to Maine. Um, and as we, you know, the kind of last leg of it um, is when you start to get up to New York. And as a kid, when we would drive, you know, start getting up to New York and seeing these big, giant, amazing buildings, like the McGraw-Hill building, the, um, you know, the Empire State building, the Chrysler building. I mean, that was, Chrysler building was like the, the, fucking pinnacle for me um you know this big kind of just metal gargoyle head yeah, it just guys. i mean i got so excited about it as, as a young kid that i i did actually kind of know from a pretty early age that i wanted to be an architect um do you know there there was a dad at ps11 who was like the head of facilities at the chrysler building I don't remember who it was. And he was like, oh yeah, if you ever want to tour in there, like I can take you all the way behind oh God, everywhere. You're, you're telling me this now? Oh, uh, well, I didn't know you loved the Chrysler building. I mean, <laughs> how the, 
oh, now I'm going to, it's going to drive me crazy. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to reconnect you with him. But that would be cool to go up there and look behind all the curtains. Yeah. I mean, um, it's just, there's so many layers to why that building is, is so phenomenal. And it's just, you know, that really got me excited as a young kid about this idea of creating mm-hmm. these kind of fantastical built environments or structures. And, and that's where I headed. Um, and that kind of led me towards going to an art high school. And in that art high school, I got a lot of, it, it was a performing and visual art high school. So there was, um, there was a lot of theater, theatrical productions and things like that and sets being built and stuff like that. And that's kind of where I started skewing a little more towards um, the theatrical side of, of what this design world is. Uh, and that again, also got me very excited. So. Those, those mm. things combined is kind of how I got to where I am. And I'm also like envisioning driving through hot Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, whichever way you go up to Maine in a four cylinder pop top. Oh my like, God, that engine that's is like, so small. I know. It's like, uh, it was like, like a burn- lawnmower on, on wheels. But it's also like Burning Man version 1.0, right? That's true. <laughs> Those were, I've always had a, and I will do this um, now that I have space that I'm not in the city, but I've always wanted to take a Volkswagen bug or the bus because you can actually like take the end. I can actually take the engine out and probably hold it. I want to take it apart, clean everything and put it all back together. And just, I think that would be a really fun project at some point. Yeah, we definitely did that once or twice. On the way up? No, no, no. Like, you know, in between, you know in the off season we would need mm. to do a little maintenance on the on the tiny engine do, does your mom still which have you can it? fix everything with a screwdriver right do you does your mom still have it no no this was a while ago oh man those things it was are sad awesome. to see them go but now every time i see one i'm like i'm just standing there and you know sob oh such great memories um and then so th- from high school how did you decide on ut well, um, it was a pretty easy decision because I was in state. It was like, you know, stupid affordable, but it was also like the one of the top five architecture schools in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and being an in-state resident, it, it was a very easy process, process for me to go there. There was also a lot of other good options. There was like Rice and then there was A&M and there was a couple other places, but my sister went to UT. I wanted to be in Austin. I loved Austin. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a super easy decision i mean it's not like when you apply for college now where you have to go through all these all this you know all these uh, hoops and hurdles uh i literally got a piece of paper that just said like sign here and then i went to architecture school wow did i ever tell you um the story about i got into ut architecture school i decided not to go there did i ever tell you why you didn't tell it was me the weird it was the weirdest thing so i remember i was 18 it was 1993 i was my dad flew me down there. We, you know, the docent who walks backwards and is like, here's the clock tower. Here's the school of architecture. I loved it. It was my top choice. But the weirdest thing happened. It's like the sliding door moment that I still don't know why they would have said it. And I don't know if it was 1993, but at the end of it, she said, you know, out of full disclosure, we have to let you know that The University of Texas Austin campus has the highest incidence of HIV AIDS amongst all of the UT campuses. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go here. I don't even know what that meant. But I was like, I don't want to like, what does that mean? And like, what is it? 0.0002%. 
versus 0.00001 or even whatever it was. I don't even know why they would disclose it. Unless I, I kept thinking maybe we were just all a bunch of out of state students that they didn't want to come to the school. Like, I have no idea. It's one of those mysteries I will never know the answer to. You've never told me that. And I'm, I'm I mean, I don't even know what to say. That's it's like shocking, right? It's so yeah. fucking crazy. And I, I thought you were going to say they told you, like, you know, in full disclosure, it's a very hard program. And, you know, like, you know, 80% of the people that you start with won't be there when you finish, which was all true. Um, but no, I wasn't expecting you to say that. No, it's crazy. And then I, and then I was like, huh, that's weird. And then I remember, um, I got breakfast the next morning with my dad. I don't remember where it was. They had great fried chicken. And then the guy, and maybe we just screamed out of state because uh, growing up from in New Jersey, but he's like, I ordered fried chicken. He's like, do you want gravy with that fried chicken or are you a Yankee? And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Things were a little bit different back then. Uh, that was I so mean, awesome. When, when my family moved to, to Dallas, it was like, um, it was just farmland. I mean, there was highways and farmland. It was all flat. There was nothing. Mm. And that was like, you know, in the 70s. Mm. Um, okay. So David Rockwell, David Mexico, super inspirational. Um, you learned so much from them. But now I want to put you in a place where you learn so much for you. Josh. You are yes. back at University of Texas. You are looking at your 18-year-old self. What advice do you have for yourself? Um, I probably could have gone to class a little bit more. Um... <laughs> but you were experiencing things and you were experiencing life and looking for inspiration for all of your no, future yeah, projects. I, mean, I would have told myself to explore more and really, I mean, I felt like compared to some of the other people there, I really was thinking a little bit more outside of kind of normal, the normal guardrails. Um, but I could have pushed that a lot further. And, mm. you know, always remember that, like, you know, in, in everything, I think it was Dave Rackle actually said that this in, in some speech somewhere, um, in some speaking engagement. And he said, like, you know, he spent every minute of the time he was after he graduated school, trying to unlearn all the shit that he learned in school. So that kind of like, you know, just remember that to, the school is really just kind of a mechanism to, to help you build some tools, but really break out of all that and, you know, reach as far as you can in every direction. And I did that plenty and I got plenty in trouble for doing it. And, you know, had teachers that, you know, tried to bring me down, but I think that I would go back and tell myself, like, no, you're on the right path. Just keep exploring, keep trying to figure out new ways of doing shit and and be confident in the fact that that's okay. Yeah, and it goes right back to the heart of you were doing, you were kind of finding your own path so that you could know your shit really well, like you said, and then that would give you the confidence. You were learning it in your own way and bringing your, forging your own life experience. Right. But now Jake has to go to every class. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when I'm paying for it, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's not out, it's not in state tuition either, huh? No. Yeah, he's going to a great art college, but it's like, you know, there's no I'm like, what's your what's your major? He's like, I don't have to pick a major yet. I'm like, okay. I'm like, so you know, how are your grades? You know, you doing well? He's like, Oh, we don't have grades. I'm like, what 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 is going on at the school? Like, what am I paying for? Experience. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure he's getting plenty of that. Yeah. 
Um, well, Josh, I just, again, I'm, I'm so grateful for your time and our friendship and that, that we could talk and learn and share your story with, with all of our growing listeners. And if people wanted to learn more about you or Wimberly, like how, how can they reach out and find you? Well, people that, that know me well know that social media is not the way to get a hold of me. Um, so if you want to get a hold of me, either email me, um, maybe LinkedIn is sometimes useful. Um, but mostly email or, um, you know, I think it's pretty much email. That's the way. Great. Awesome. Send me a text. Uh, I won't put your cell phone number up in there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but again, Josh, I just want to thank you so much. This has been just awesome. And I'm glad to like, does that mean this is over? I was having so much fun. Well, I feel like I, I just really wanted to know your journey and I just learned so much about your journey and I mean, we can keep going if you want. No, this was great. I really appreciate you, um, you know, asking the questions and not not just of me, but of, of you know, everybody around me that I that I respect and love in this industry. And um, it's great to hear what you pull out of them. Um, so keep it up and thank you. Thank you. And also, much like I'm thanking Josh, I also want to thank our listeners because, again, I know I say this every week, but I'm always humbled and amazed that we keep growing every week. So if this changed your idea or any of your ideas about how to give hospitality, receive hospitality, put things in a Petri dish and make something cool, please pass it along and share it with a friend. And I think I got to finish with try some cool shit and make the future happen. <laughs>